This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, SiriusXM Channel 132 Business Radio. That's powered by the Wharton School. I'm Kent Smethers, a professor here at the Wharton campus in Philadelphia. We are doing new episodes of this show every Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. We're still not taking your calls. Sorry about that. Uh, simply because we're doing this remotely still by Zoom. But if you're looking for a fee-only advisor, you can certainly go to my website, kentonmoney.com. I don't charge any advice to be on the website. Don't monetize that at all. Just uh, as a public service, that uh, fiduciary-level advice. And you also agree with Mike general approach to low-cost passive index investing. So speaking of investments, you've probably heard about crypto stuff, cryptocurrencies, crypto assets, things like Bitcoin showing up in the news on a regular basis. And you know, many Americans remain skeptical about uh, digital currencies. It seems like especially older Americans, younger Americans may be willing to take more of a bet on these uh, uh, new types of assets or currencies. And a recent survey by Bankrate um, says that nearly half of US millennials are at least somewhat comfortable with putting their money into the crypto market, but is it too risky? And James Royal um, covers uh, investing in wealth management for Bankrate, and he's gonna here with me to talk about the pros and cons of crypto has been on the show in the past. Welcome back to the show, James. Thanks for having us. So, you know, crypto, I mean, it's, I even had this debate with my students, is it a currency given the challenges, you know, the theoretical limits of the transactions that you can do per second with these, like something like Bitcoin, you know, more, no more than seven transactions per second worldwide. Um, even if you had computers running super fast, or is it a crypto asset? But either way, you know, or that is a store of value. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, just explain what what do people mean by this crypto stuff, and you know, is there a simple way of you know list explain to listeners who have no clue? Yeah, so uh, cryptocurrency is a kind of digital currency. It exists only online, so to speak, only electronically, and it's created and based on what's called block a blockchain database. And this is a specific type of database that can kind of track uh, transactions over time. And so cryptocurrencies generally are run on a decentralized computer network that tracks the currency, manages it, helps produce it. Uh, and it's all sort of managed on a, in a decentralized way. And it's a little bit, it, it takes this kind of perceptual leap, conceptual leap to sort of get to that. But that's in essence what it is. Yeah, yeah, and certainly, like you keep on, uh, you mentioned decentralized. Very important here. It's one of the pillars. Of not all crypto, uh, people have been calling themselves cryptocurrency, but certainly of the big ones like Bitcoin and so forth. Also, the reason why you know uh, it's so computationally expensive uh, to uh, do a lot of the verification algorithms, um, but nonetheless, um, you know, part of the it's not surprising that Bitcoin uh, started only a couple of weeks after Lehman Brothers fell, and everybody's wondering, you know, the Federal Reserve is a part of the Illuminati. Do we should we get rid of, you know, these third uh, trusted third parties have a more decentralized way of 
of doing it. So your survey that Bankrate has recently done it shows that uh, younger people are more, more willing to invest in these types of assets. So just give us uh, the skinny here on your survey. Like what, uh, what did you guys find in terms of different generational effects and anything else about the survey? Yeah, so basically, one of the key things was is that the younger you were, the more likely you were to be comfortable owning uh, cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. So, uh, as you said, about fifty percent of the people, fifty percent of the millennials in our survey were at least somewhat comfortable owning it, and then that declined over time. Uh, just thirty-seven uh, percent of Gen X uh, and only twenty-two percent of baby boomers were comfortable with it. Uh, comfortable investing in it. So there's a huge uh, age component here. And uh, you know, we could point to any number of reasons. The, the survey didn't cover those reasons, didn't cover the whys. Yeah. Uh, but you see, you see the clear age discrepancy here uh, for in preference. Yeah, it'd be really fascinating in future surveys to kind of broke it down the why. Because it's you know, is it just that younger people are more comfortable with technology? Although we see a lot of older people now, you know, using technology. Or is it maybe younger people are less connected with trusting, um, you know, institutions and they want something more decentralized? Yeah, it'd be fascinating uh, future work to look at that. So let's talk about some of the, as an investor, the possible rewards, you know, if you have the risk tolerance for this type of investment, what are the possible, some of the possible rewards of it, but also the downside that comes with that? Yeah, so I, so if you look at the run up in Bitcoin, it's over sixty thousand dollars now. Uh, yeah. It's flirting with new highs in the recent in the past few weeks. Uh, this started out for fractions of a dollar, a penny, ten cents. You could easily have bought it ten years ago for just a few dollars. Uh, so that's a tremendous return in just in a very short period of time. And of course, we're pointing to Bitcoin, but we've seen similar run-ups in Ethereum, which is the second largest cryptocurrency by market cap. Uh, Solana now introduced just in 2019, uh, 2019 uh, for less than a dollar is now trading uh, above $200 mm-hmm. a coin. So tremendous run-ups in a lot of these cryptocurrencies. Um, and so, uh, it's it's been a, a huge windfall for a lot of people who have invested, and especially invested earlier. And it's generated, uh, I would say, a lottery ticket type atmosphere for people who've gotten involved. Uh, and and uh, that price rise has sort of been self-fulfilling, right? So it rises, and so people see it rising, and they want to get in on it. And so that's driving a lot of FOMO, fear of missing out yeah. on what is purported to be the next big thing. But I think a lot of people are missing uh, the risks that are that underlie uh, a lot of these crypto assets. Yeah, yeah, and you just look, you know, look at the time series associated with, you know, Dogecoin and some of the other <laughs> very crazies. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting um, to see, you know, people running in as it gets more social media attention and then, you know, plummeting and so forth. Um, and so, you know, how can you investigate? I mean, you mentioned all these different coins, you know, there's over 2000 of them at this point and less growing, everybody trying to get that into the, come up with your own coin, hold some of it back. Hopefully it goes up in value and I'm a billionaire. So at the same time, we know that there's been some coins associated with some Netflix shows and so forth that actually have turned out to be a fraud. Um, so, you know, how can you investigate if a cryptocurrency company is legit or, you know, really 
as any other assets you might want to look into? Well, I, I think the risks here uh, are really hard to overstate. And I think even before we think about what's legitimate and what's not legitimate, you're referencing the Squid Game coin. Yes. Where basically, it, it went up about 230,000% in the period of a week, and then literally within minutes lost 100% of its value. Um, right. And But I think one of the things that's core here with any of these cryptocurrencies or any of the the currencies that are tremendously popular and rising a lot in value is that they're not backed by anything, right? They're not backed by assets. They're not backed by cash flow. Uh, in contrast to something like a stock, which has a claim on assets or cash flow. Uh, and I think that's something a lot of people don't understand about how these cryptocurrencies work. Yeah. Your, your return is driven by other investors becoming more optimistic, uh, about this currency. And so what you're doing is less trying to, to play uh, as, as you would with a stock. You're playing the earnings or you're playing the success of the business, right? Here, you're playing other traders. Yeah. And it's, it's important to understand that that is tremendously risky. And with nothing fundamentally backing these currencies, um, it, it's, uh, you're, you're, you're jockeying against other traders. Yeah, yeah. And certainly, you know, there's two... On one hand, this is a fiat currency, like all currency. The dollar is a fiat currency. It has value because other people think it has value. Um, at the same time, some of these come across like hot potato as well, which is, you know, it could potentially blow up if it doesn't become a focal point, the fiat characteristic of the value of a dollar or some other currency. And, you know, it, it, trying to figure out the wheat from the shaft here and which one is potentially as a potential for maintaining that fiat quality is, like you said, uh, very uh, challenging. Um, you know, certainly regulators have been a little slow on crypto and how to think through crypto, should it even be regulated and so forth. And we're certainly talking about a lot of tax changes in the United States right now. Um, talk about taxes and crypto. It's a, it's a kind of a poorly understood area right now. A lot of people think, hey, look, I, uh, crypto is sort of outside the purview of the government or the, the tax yeah. man. And it, it, that's just simply not true. If you make a capital gain on cryptocurrency, just as if you made a capital gain on a stock or a more traditional financial asset, you owe taxes on that. Uh, it's just that simple. And uh, right now, the or in the last few years, the IRS has uh, introduced uh, uh, verification on your 1040 your annual tax return, asking you whether you've owned or traded cryptocurrency in that tax year. And if you say you don't, and you do, and you actually have cryptocurrency, you're lying to the IRS, right? Mm -hmm. So they they can bust you just for that. Um, but um, you're, you're, you're obligated to report your, your gains, even if uh, your brokerage or exchange doesn't give you a, a detailed list of your profits and losses, right? Normally, they'll give you a 1099 that says you made X number of sales and X, X amount of profit, and you're on the hook for that. And in fact, uh, one of the things technically uh, that, and I've spoken with multiple lawyers regarding this, if you exchange, uh, use cryptocurrency to buy or uh, buy goods and services, and the value of those is greater than your purchase price, for that cryptocurrency, that's a taxable gain as far as the IRS yeah. is concerned. And so you owe taxes on that. And so this is something else that makes cryptocurrency really difficult to actually use 
as currency, right? Mm. Uh, if you have to think about your capital gain every time you make a purchase, uh, that's very difficult. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times people think, well, oh, gee, I'd never get caught. But they don't understand is that it's, it's a bit of a myth to think that crypto is just completely hidden. And there's a thing called a public ledger. And, you know, if the IRS obtains enough information, they can actually uh, uh, look at these public transactions and actually uh, trace. It's one way that sometimes money has been recovered. So some of these Russian hackers who demanded cryptocurrency in exchange for unlocking your computer system, things like that. We talked a little about scams in the crypto world, the Squid Game one and so forth. Uh, but let's move on to another area that, you know, and that's the art world, you know, NFT, and one of the hot trends in this uh, space. And talk about what all that is. And, you know, is that, you know, obviously we're not, you know, trying to be evaluators of uh, if, of NFT and the, the underlying uh, items and the art and so forth. But, you know, it's a hot space. You know, explain that to people. Yeah, so NFT stands for non-fungible token. And so yeah. think, think of this as basically like uh, a, a, a unique one-of-a-kind token. Uh, and you might have seen these for things like NBA Top Shot, now lots of retailers are coming out with them, and it, it's basically like a, 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 a digital image uh, that you have a claim on. Uh, and the, the thing that's sort of unusual about this, people say, hey, I own the NFT, uh, but in a real sense, you, you can't exploit it for gain, right? You can't, you can't, uh, you, you can't, uh, generate cash flow off of that. You can sell. You can sell it on potentially to somebody else who's willing to pay more. But the underlying image, uh, you can't then further exploit. And so, really, a lot of what people are doing with NFTs is selling you an entry in a database that says you own this digital token. You own. You own uh, this. This. Im you own this image. And that's often what this is. And that's it, that's been tremendously uh, popular, especially in 2021, uh, with the rise of Ethereum, uh, which backs, which is used to purchase a lot of these NFTs. Yeah, yeah. And certainly, uh, yeah, Ethereum, a big player, uh, certainly in that uh, in market. And in some sense, again, it is, you know, this fiat nature of it, like lots of art, though, is... Now, why do we care about whether this painting is real or a copy? It's because of the, you know, the essentially the, the focal point value of having, you know, a real one, even though the painting doesn't change when you discover it to be, you know, a, a fake. And it's, it's, it seems like now this is kind of the electronic version of this. So there's always been this, you know, debate, is this a past and fad digital currencies in particular? Do you think it's... You know, my sense is that if, you know, there could be a shakedown where, you know, a lot of them go away, but some of them could potentially stick around if they create this fiat focal point uh, to them, like, you know, regular paper dollars and so forth. Doesn't, but that still means it could still be very risky. What, what are your thoughts? Is it, you think the whole thing could just collapse or do you think there will be kind of more of a shakeout or it will continue to grow even uh in terms of the number of offerings. So 
I think certain, certainly for the short term, I think we're going to see continued interest in this. Uh, more and more players are rushing to the space. But can, can the world legitimately support 10,000 plus cryptocurrencies? Mm. And what are they? How is one providing a need that others aren't providing? So I think over time, we're going to have to see a shakeout. Uh, and it, it could be tremendously could be tremendously substantial so that there's only really a handful that sort of make the leap to some other broad usage, to some other realm of broad usage. You know, I, I think, too, it's important to understand that any of these cryptocurrencies, at, at least as long as they remain highly volatile as they have been, are basically useless as currencies. Yeah, uh, that that's that's. That's part of the part of the thesis that's missing in a lot of the hype and promotion. If if your if if a product costs you ten dollars one day and twenty dollars the next day, are, do you want to go out and use that currency? Why people are holding on to it in the expectation that it rises, not to actually use the currency at, to purchase goods and services. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's a that's a huge aspect of this that's being overlooked. And uh, it really suggests the lottery ticket nature of this and the, the very riskiness of this. Uh, so ultimately, I think you have a few that might make the leap as, as a kind of uh, default electronic currency, electronic international currency. Uh, but it's, it's hard to envision a world, and especially it's hard to envision a world in which you've got all of these literally 10,000 plus cryptocurrencies continuing to survive as legitimate stores of exchange. And especially in a world where you've got central banks that are going to develop their own digital currencies that are going to be backed by those currencies and by those, sorry, by those economies and yeah. by those governments, right? So what happens in that world? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's right. You know, the we we all think Bitcoin being the first, actually the second in the space, it has all, all the focus right now. But who knows? You know, China obviously developing their own, uh, backed by the government, and as well as other countries as well. Who knows where that focal point could shift uh, over time? So point well taken there. So James, uh, fantastic job again, James Royal of uh, Bankrate. Uh, thanks for coming back onto the show. Thank you for having us. And you can find uh, more about uh, James Royal and his work by simply going to bankrate.com or you can follow him on Twitter at Jim Royal PhD. And I'm Kent Smithers. This is Your Money. Remember, connect with me by going to my website, kentthemoney.com. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 